The You're Still Here podcast is proudly brought to you by Luden's Cough Drops. Yes, those red candy-like cough drops that you used to get when you were younger to convince yourself that you were actually doing something for your sore throat. I could use some Luden's Cough Drops right now because my voice is still gone from when I went to the Islanders game, one of the craziest games I've ever been to. And I was elated after the game because the Islanders came back from 2-0 against the Stanley Cup champions to win 3-2 in overtime and force a Game 7, which they lost, and which nullified that night that I previously would have called one of the best nights of my life. Yes, I do think it's possible to have one of the best nights of your life nullified if it's then followed up by one of the worst nights of your life. Classic me, by the way. Classic me, have a plus 100 night, then a minus 100 night. And you'd think that gets me to zero, but no, I'm still lingering way below the surface level. It's just like it's just like with money. When you make a thousand dollars, eh, it feels all right. You lose a thousand dollars, you're miserable to everyone. You come home like a cop who hates his job and you're just angry to your kids, even though they did nothing to deserve it. So this week I thought I would bring on a friend. I know I've referenced in the past about my time in Los Angeles, but I never really elaborated on it. One of my friends from Los Angeles is in town, so I thought that we would talk to people about what life is like in Los Angeles, just living there on a day-to-day basis, how it differs from most other places, and also what the entertainment industry is like. Everything that we can tell you from an insider's perspective, and I know you're probably thinking, like, who who are you? Who are you? But you'd be surprised how much that you could possibly learn about this without being some well-known person that you may have heard of, some actor or actress. So I'm going to welcome my nameless friend to the show. How you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good. Good to be here. I'm happy to have you. And I'm sorry that I'm going to sound like this. I'm going to sound like uh, I have morning voice all episode. There's nothing I can do about it, okay? You're just going to have to deal with it. It's like that episode of Friends, I think, where where Phoebe was an awful singer, and then all of a sudden she sounded great because she was sick. That's what I said. I sound sick, even though I'm not sick, but I am still sick from that Islanders one nothing loss. So how's it going, man? How's it feel to be back here? Oh, it's great. As much as, uh, you know, you work in LA, you know what's funny about LA? And I think it's because the city just lacks kind of, to me, it lacks a little bit of character and identity. I've lived there now for 11 and a half years and it still doesn't really feel like home. So every time that I come back here, there's just this feeling where I actually belong back on the East Coast and it's just like kind of this relief. And then in turn, I get this weird anxiety when I leave and I go back to LA because it just feels like I'm going to a strange land, which is funny because most times in life, if you live somewhere for over a decade and you've committed yourself to being there, it should be your home. And for me, it just still doesn't feel like that. That is the best way you can start the conversation about what Los Angeles actually is. You could spend as much time as you want there. But you can't feel part of a community that doesn't even know what that community is. I had somebody visit Los Angeles one time. They were actually visiting Southern California, somebody that I grew up with. And they said, ah, dude, this place is so weird. It's like when I when I go through San Diego, I get this vibe. When I went through Orange County, I got this vibe. I was in San Francisco, I got this vibe. But driving through Los Angeles, it was just like randomness. Just There was no vibe that consistently went 
from area to area. You'd be in one part, then a couple blocks later, it'd feel like you were in a completely different city. And that goes to the overall construct of the city, like the geography. You know this, like Los Angeles is not like many other cities where there's like a bustling downtown. No, of course. Downtown LA is, I mean, there's businesses there. There's the skyscrapers. It's kind of the financial district of Los Angeles, but it is, it's, it's dirty. Um, there's a ton of street people and homeless people that makes it a little bit difficult, especially if you're like a young professional. It yeah, doesn't... You're, you're, you're definitely underplaying it. There's like homeless civilizations there. Yeah. There, I believe in California, there's like a quarter of a million homeless people. I think, I think, 30% of them are in downtown LA. Yeah, it's not nice. So people don't really want to live there. So there really is no unified central of Los Angeles. So it is just this series of fractured neighborhoods. It's really the definition of urban sprawl. You just you have to drive 10 miles in each direction to get to these separate neighborhoods and also separated by just monstrous traffic. And we we know this cuz we you know, you live there for a while. And so TMZ stands for the 30-mile zone, right? Honestly, yeah, that's what it is, and it, it it's true. In fact, sometimes it feels even beyond that because it's really L.A. County, and a lot of people can live in any part of the county and still commute in, and it's just it's just absolutely enormous and spaced out, and you feel very separated from people. And so that really contributes to it as well because it's really hard to feel you know, a, a sense of civic pride or unity when you feel like you have nothing in common or no city relationship to people that live even a few miles down the road. And then there's not even like a great unified public transit system that can bring people to the ballpark to something together with it, you know, that they can all do. Yeah. I'm surprised that the numbers for COVID in California or specifically in Los Angeles, because that was one of the cities that was hit hardest, like the whole time for the most part, I can't believe that it spread so quickly in a place that I remember Never interacting with people. You just don't interact with people in Los Angeles. It's not like New York. There's no subways. There's not a bunch of people always passing each other. It's honestly just hours in your car. Like you can live 12 miles from someone. It could take an hour and 45 minutes to get there. That's how congested the traffic is in Los Angeles. I just remember feeling like it never ended. Like if I wanted to go to the gym, it's like 22 minutes in traffic. Then you go to the gym, then you leap more. It just felt like everything was this never-ending endeavor where you always were isolated in your car. Then you're going, whether it's grocery shopping or something like that, it was never, there was never this congregation of people that's kind of forced in New York where there are people always kind of interacting with one another in a variety of different ways. There's just so much, there's so much people congestion, but it, the polar opposite is true about Los Angeles. Well, in New York, I find that one of the, you know, one of the negative things is it's hard to find space. So people are cooped up, but the positive thing about people not having as much space is you don't want to dwell in your little space all the time. So people are forced if they want to have social interactions to go out into these communal spaces and spend time together. That's why bar life, restaurant life, museums, they're really a big deal here because it's a place where people can congregate and be a community. Do you remember what it was like when we had to try to go out to bars too? It's not like, oh yeah, let's meet at the bar because everything is so spread out. Now, yeah, yeah, everybody can kind of Uber to this spot and Uber back. But I remember what we ended up doing was we'd have everybody either like draw, take an Uber to one person's apartment or they'd have to leave the car there. And it was this whole big production because of how spread out everything is. And then that kind of permeates throughout the city. There's not these constant congregations. Everything has to be planned out to a T. And like when it goes to bars, bar hopping's not even a thing. 
Because how are you getting from bar A to bar B? Because everything, like I said, is so spread out. Many people could be at a place in Venice by the water, and then the next spot could be, you know, in a, on a Hollywood and Vine or something. And then another dynamic about going to the bars in Los Angeles, and this is something that I think I've mentioned once previously, you know you're not meeting any girls when you go to them. There's not a single girl that wants to meet you in Los Angeles. Zero. Zero. That city, for normal guys, it's nearly impossible to meet women. Now, I I can compare to every other place I've been. Do you remember when we used to go out? Of course, over there, absolutely. Yeah. How many times did we get somebody's number and they were flirting with us, and it's like, oh my god, I can't wait to hang out with her. Nothing would ever materialize ever. And that's if you could even get to that point. I mean, the fact that you could potentially talk to a girl for long enough for thirty or forty minutes and have her look you in the eye and pay attention to you and think you, you know, act like you had a little value, and then even get to the number exchange—that was a battle in and of itself. Then, let alone if you even somehow got the number. Good luck, pal. Good yeah. luck getting her to text you because that's probably not happening. Yes, because the immediate second they find out who you are, look you up on social media in Los Angeles, unfortunately, if you do not offer them the opportunity to trade up, I always called it the trade up culture there, then they're going to immediately become disinterested. It's the one place you could meet somebody. Oh, we connect on so many levels. Our families are alike. We share the same values. He makes me laugh. Oh, cool. You're going to keep seeing him? Nah, he can't get me into Warner Brothers this weekend. That trumps all. The trump card in Los Angeles is can this guy do something for me professionally, which is why you see all the old sugar daddies you know, coming in with 22-year-olds at the roof at the W at the Roosevelt Hotel pool. I mean, that's the mecca for it. And there's a reason why. So it makes dating for a guy... I mean, that mentally really took its toll on me. It's probably like 12% of the reason I came back. Or I I, I came to New York. It, yeah, it's funny. I think it's one of the few cities that people live in where once they feel like they're there, they feel like they have to take part in certain elements of the culture. And what I mean by that is very few other places... I mean. I would say most of the time if a girl moves to a new city or she even visits a city, of course they want to have fun. They might want to go to nice restaurants or nice places, but there's something about Los Angeles where I feel like people feel like they want to be part of the glitz and the glam. How do I get into the best club, the best restaurant, this rooftop? How do I get invited back to a party at somebody's house, somebody's house in the hills? Whereas that's not really a, an option in most other places. But in LA, it's like all you don't think you're going to want it and then you get there and what? You get, you get caught up in the lights or... I don't want to use some cliched statement, but it's like they want it. and yeah, It's it, a little bit of that when in Rome. I yeah. Mean, you see it. You even see it with, like, I remember I saw this with myself. Like, you, you become a little more health conscious. You're less likely to go get yourself a, you know, stuffed rigatoni a la vodka. You're health conscious. And, and there is a trickle-down effect from being part of an environment like that. So, you know, to a certain extent, I understand, like, when in Rome, but there's still a certain element like me. I'll always be a sports fan, no matter what you do. Even when I was over there, I still watched the Islanders who I, yes, I'm still crushed about that. They lost the other night, but I still wanted to go see sport, like watch sports, watch hockey and watch football, especially in big games. And you can't really do that in Los Angeles. There's no true sports bar. Yes. You're going to see that they're, they advertise a sports bar, but you're going to go there and everyone's going to look like they're dressed to go to the Academy Awards. There's no true sports bar where people are talking sports. 
It's like there's a saying in Los Angeles about the Dodgers fans show up in the third and leave in the sixth. That's the general attitude towards most things that are not entertainment related. And the fact that you can't just go with friends to watch a playoff game and really just throw yourself into something like that. It, it was it was awful for me because I love stuff like that. It's one of my favorite parts. Like if I'm having a bad week in New York, all right, you go out one night. You're not you're not surrounded by anyone in the industry or whatever industry you work in. You you're just with a mishmash of different people, and we can never do that in Los Angeles. There was always that kind of who are the the, the constant size up of who is he? Should I know him? I've never been looked at more in my life, but not in a way, like a flattering way in a is that person somebody or, you know, is that person, do, do I know them? Are they somebody? Do I recognize them from something? People will literally give you a full up down, like a Terminator scan when you walk in the door because they're trying to see if you're somebody. And that never happens in other cities. And it's not, I, I know I'm operating in kind of broad terms or, you know, like a stereotype right now, but it really is true. Um, and, you know, to piggyback on what you were saying, yeah, there isn't like the lack of community and that goes to sports as well. There might be, an occasional bar that's all the way across town where a certain fan of a certain sports team go to congregate to watch a Bears game, a Patriots game. But I find that for the most part, when you end up going to one of these places, it's the over overcompensators. And they're the people that live in LA and they love telling people where they're from. Even though they live in LA, they just love holding on to that pride because it's kind of what separates them from the yeah. other transplants in Los Angeles. Yeah. And they end up being the most misinformed obnoxious yeah. fan when you ask them about the kyle fuller contract situation if they're going to resign they go well, who they don't know any yeah they couldn't of... tell you the first draft pick that they made in exactly. this past season the, the, or they know the name and they just throw it out there like they know who it is they don't know any details past that 100 percent. and just in case you think maybe all oh, these sound like some jaded guys who you know what they're just angry that things didn't work out for them Here's my evidence. Many times, just like any other friends, we, we, we would take like weekend trips, go on vacation. We went to Vegas. I remember one time we went to Scottsdale. And Scottsdale and Vegas are the two perfect equivalents because they're two other cities with absolutely smoking attractive people. And we had no difficulties flirting with girls in those environments. It was always Los Angeles. I mean, forget about New York. We've talked to a ton of people in New York. It's just that specific environment. And when you're like... Two decent-looking guys in your twenties. It is beyond frustrating. You start to, you start to have some serious self doubts. Yeah. One of the main reasons that I think that there's this dynamic is because it's so rare that in Los Angeles, you have these normal people who go to college, have a plan, and they go, "Yes, I'm gonna, go, I'm going to go to Syracuse University for four years. Then I'm gonna move to Los Angeles and become a second assistant director, and then I'm gonna work my way." It's way more likely that you encounter the floaters, the hopers, the people who went out there with absolutely no plan, but they watched, I don't know, win a date with Tad Hamilton and thought that they were going to end up like Kate Bosworth. But in reality, that's not the case. You know, my mom always used to tell me like, oh, I saw this documentary. It said that Brad Pitt had to be a waiter and then he had to be a limo driver until he made it. Yes, that is great. But they don't show the other 2,421 stories of the Brad Pitt who did that. And guess what he's doing now? Oh, yeah, he's still there. Yeah. It is a weird community out there. And you're way less likely to have this group of, like, 
cronies that you would anywhere else, which is evident from the fact that the people that I used to hang out with there years ago still hit me up to hang out. And they tell me like the thing that they miss about me being there the most is like the lack of people that they have to chill with who are just there to have a good time and that everyone will just flake out on them on a moment's notice. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. You're the only person that I would call a real friend that actually is either, you know, in the industry or was in the industry doing something similar to what I was doing. It's just crazy. I I just don't vibe that well with a lot of people that work in Hollywood. I mean, I definitely have acquaintances and I have, you know, some community members out there, if you can even call it a community, of people I'd be willing to hang out with outside of work. But it's just a very limited number of people. And it's not for me. It's not for a lack of me being a social person because I'm quite social. And so the fact that I really only have a couple good friends out there and they don't really work in Hollywood. You know, my best friend out there is a guy that works in private equity and has a couple kids. So it's just really difficult for me because I just find that Hollywood, unfortunately, just really attracts a particular particular type of person. And that person is usually narcissistic and narcissistic people don't text you back and they don't call you back and they don't care if you're going through a rough time because all they can see is like what's one foot in front of their nose and that's usually their own little shitty aspirations. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's true. That was one of the many things that kind of drove me to pursue the same thing but from New York because I'm a guy who needs to enjoy my free time and I noticed that there were not many nights in Los Angeles where I ended up saying, oh, that was a great time. Conversely, here in New York, like when I go out for the NFC championship with my to a bar with my friend and then we go out afterward and you're meeting all sorts of different people having a great time, it's hard to pass up on that, you know, when I am such a social person. It is such an important part of my life. So if, if there is anybody who kind of is thinking about potentially moving there now i also want to say this is not all of southern california this is specifically los angeles and even more specifically if you're going there like without a j- actual job set because i have went there with a job for like periods of time and i had a great time when everything's situated it can be a, a very good place to live but when you're one of these people just trying to dogfight your way up there and you don't really have anything established before you go in it can be a it can be a tough place to try to establish yourself and i feel like because of that a lot of people they're that drifter they're that searcher type of person and i feel like because of that people are way more likely to join those kind of clicky little groups do you know what i mean like the amount of people i've met in los angeles that join some multi-level marketing scheme or one of those you get caught at the airport and they try to get you to join their classes and pay thousands of dollars a month to be part of it. And then you recruit more people, that thing. Or, I hate to say it, but even things like CrossFit or Herbalife or other yeah, things. Are that you, are about- you've never met somebody with a regular job there. Ask somebody what their job is. First of all, watch them start sweating because they have to come up with something. And then see these answers. Uh, oh, I, uh, yeah, I, I, run the, uh, I run the board on Family Feud, actually. I'm that guy. I'm, you know when you hear the big, eh, yeah, that, that's me. You hear the most peculiar, odd things. that you, Because there are so many weird ones, there's strength in numbers. You all of a sudden can't say, like, well, that's bizarre. Who the hell are you? You can't even say that because it's, <laughs> it's a bunch of freaks doing all these things. You don't even know how to question it. I mean, go, go to go to the South Bay, which is like where Manhattan Beach and these places are. There's just a bunch of 42-year-olds on a Wednesday playing beach volleyball. How? 
I mean, I guess maybe they could just theoretically be rich, but there's just this, nobody works in Los Angeles. Nobody is hooking up with anybody. It is a type of bizarro land out there. Totally. It's it's just a weird place because it's it's a lot of people who are trying to do something else. So how can anybody really go full steam in a profession if they're always trying to trade up, like you said, or do something else? You know, I mean, how many, think about how weird it is to meet somebody, you know, to, only in today's world, in a place like LA, do I meet somebody and they say, I'm a life coach. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you going to coach on life? Yeah. Your life sucks. Yeah. I saw your so, apartment. Okay. Yeah. You, you shouldn't be coaching anyone on anything. Exactly. And I'm at, can you imagine going to, so now I know times change, so it's not always a fair comparison, but can you imagine going back to somebody in 1958 and saying, I'm a life coach? Yeah. What do you think your response you know, a, a, a lot of returning World War II veterans, they, they would have loved to be told how to get their act in order from those life coaches out there. You know what a life coach is? Uh, a therapist who didn't feel like going to get any training and pass any exams. Yeah. That's what they are. They're a therapist minus the credentials. Literally. They want to tell you what to eat, how to sleep, what kind of water to drink, what kind of pH balance you need. Uh, I would say borderline the most generic quotes and uh what's the word i'm looking for uh platitudes the million and one platitudes you see like the wayne gretzky uh you miss a thousand you know a hundred percent of the shots you don't take and all that bullshit yeah. and it's like oh that's the gary v syndrome where yeah. he just yells at you thirty five thousand times that, that that you gotta make it, you gotta make it, you gotta make it you go how do i make it no you just gotta make it okay thanks thanks because i can do a lot with that yelling at me that i have to just do it. I just have to do it. I remember I remember one time uh, this manager told me to take some sort of course. Um, and I was like, yeah, but it costs like 600 bucks. She's like, well, you just got to do it. I'm like, I don't have that money right now. She says, no, you got to do it. Okay, well, something has to happen for me to have this $600. I could yell, oh, I'm going to do it. But then when it comes to time, time to make the payment, I'm going to put my card number in and it isn't going to go through. There's never a real answer. Yeah. Can you imagine going to like a couple that's trying to have a child and the woman's having fertility problems? And you, well, you just got to do it. You just have to do it. Yeah. But the doctor said that I might have a problem no, with one of no, my- No, no, no. Well, because he wasn't thinking what I'm thinking right now, which is just do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. You think it and it will happen. I, oh, I, I couldn't stand that. I feel like when that book, The Secret came out, all these LA people jumped all over it. The amount of people that told me, well, what do you want? You know, because I- I wanted a, a Porsche or something like that. And like now I drive and they had some story about how they drive a Porsche or something. So I tell them some of my goals and they'd be like, well, just, just really think it really will it into existence. You got to believe it. And then you just got to do it. They would literally say things like that to me. Well, let me tell you something I have dreamt during the day and at night deeper than most people could ever dream about being successful in the entertainment industry. I have tried to will it into existence in my own mind and in my own heart for over a decade. And guess what? I'm barely any closer. You know, The Secret 2 is going to come out, actually. I just saw on IMDb. It's going to be released in 2024. And it's going to be one sentence long. And it's going to be, we fucking lied. That is wonderful. So let's take this into the reason why we're talking about Los Angeles in the first place. And that is because that's where we met. Go ahead. Tell them, tell them how we met. Do you remember where it was? Yeah, I do actually. Um, this was in 2010 and we were working on the show CSI Miami for all you, uh, quality television fans. Yo! out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the worst actor of all. Now nah, I won't say his name anyway. 
Um, so we're on set and we just kind of get to talking because sometimes you get to, you know, if you're working, you know, 13 hour days with people, sometimes you, uh, you get chatty with them and Andy and I met and the way that we actually, the way that I kind of got at least a stamp of approval or the way that we kind of realized like, you know, we might want to hang out again is that I guessed where he went to college based on talking to him for maybe 10 minutes at the most. And all I told him was that I went to college in Boston. So one would naturally go with one of the heavy hitters. But he actually guessed Northeastern. He didn't guess BC, he didn't guess BU. I found that crazy that he was able to just off a couple sentences. And it, look, sometimes I take random guesses at people's birthday and I've got it like right twice. So maybe once in a while you can get, but the way he did it, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And now all these years later, I actually realized that he just is like, well, this guy's not smart enough to be an MIT or Harvard or BC. It's got to be shit Northeastern, even though it's not shit. But I, uh, no, it's a great crazy. university. No, it is. It, 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 it's great, but not the greatest. And if you're wondering, well, what do you mean on set? How did you just meet on set? It's a little known fact that anybody can be on most television and movie sets. You just have to register with this company, which is in LA and New York. It's called Central Casting. Sometimes it gets referenced loosely in like shows and movies, and it, it probably will just fly over people's heads. But any person can register with central casting to become an extra in movies and whatnot. Like all those people you see in movies, like if you were watching CSI Miami, all those people are brought in. It's not just actual people at the beach. And many who are moving to LA to start a career in the industry obviously need some money for work and they also want to be on a set and learn some stuff. And we were two of those people. You know, Later on, we found out that most extras are the biggest scumbags you've ever seen in your life. But just like Netflix, you know, most of the things are trash on there. But we, we were two of the good selections, in my opinion. No, I totally agree with that. I heard somebody say this on TV one day, and it's true. People think because they watch TV that they are informed about TV. Like, they think they actually know how things go because they watch a TV. Then all of a sudden, when I'm watching, like, Friends with someone, and I say, you know, notice how nobody's back ever faces the camera because it's a three-camera setup. They go, what do you mean? And then I show them, they're like, oh, my God. Like, people don't even face each other when they talk. And they just don't know these, like, simple things. So I thought I would provide you guys some stories, things that if I were in your shoes, I would kind of find fascinating and I will lead with something he said before about the bad acting on CSI Miami. Most of the actors, once you finally get on sets and see them perform, you realize, oh my God, they are so mediocre at what they do. But when you're doing 25 takes and you're mic'd up and they have the music in the background, you can even see this with some of the parodies I put together. It makes you look way better than you actually are when you have all these assisting factors. And if you don't believe me, all you need to do is watch actors audition tapes for roles that they, a lot of them you could just look on YouTube. Earlier today, I was watching, I know I've mentioned that I'm a big horror movie guy many times. One of my favorites was Scream 1996 and Billy Loomis, one of the main killers in the movie. Sorry if I just spoiled it for you, but if you haven't watched Scream, I don't feel bad even 1%. So if you can watch his audition tape, 
on YouTube right now. Just type in Skeet Ulrich audition tape, scream, and you see like he's nowhere near as effective as he is in the movie. He's kind of just cold reading a piece of paper. And many of the comments on YouTube are like, wow, I mean, the director must have been, you know, because they don't realize that without it being shot and edited and color corrected and all that stuff and all the sound effects, all that stuff is what makes the quote unquote acting what it is. Yes, there are certain actors who are fantastic, but that number is, it's a lot lower than you may think. When you've been on sets and whatnot, you've actually been on more than I have. Are you mostly overwhelmed, underwhelmed, or they the actors meet your expectations? I'll put it this way. At this point, a lot of them meet my expectations, but that's because my expectation bar is about as high as a can of Coca-Cola on the ground. Yeah, yeah. So, but like when you were just starting it, you probably were very, expecting it to be very underwhelmed because you're just, you're there and you expect every, you think everybody's Daniel Day Lewis or Christian Bale. And then you get on there and you realize that they are literally, a lot of these people are straight reading off of pages. And some people even have trouble remembering their lines. And I'm not saying that most people working don't have some level of talent. But the baseline level of talent that it requires to be on a majority of television shows is not that high. And a lot of people in SAG-AFTRA have, at the very least, that ability, you know? So to be on those sets and to see people who are doing things that I thought a lot of my peers and other people could do and to realize the gap in pay and power and everything, it's pretty absurd. It goes to show you that a lot of the selections of who gets chosen for roles is even less about the acting as you may have originally thought. One would think, oh, well, it goes to whoever does the best job. No, no, not really. Not many of the times. Because you see that, like, oh, this is not, this isn't some, oh, my God, this is an incredibly difficult role. It's more so which of the many that we know can do this do we want to select for this one? Of course, and most people play a version of themselves anyway, so they're casting you based on a look. So you really just have to show up and read it. But um, like I've said, I'll give some actors the benefit of the doubt because, let's be honest, the majority of the stuff that we're watching, the level of story they're telling of the script is... And I don't want to sound snobby when I say this, but if you watch your average you know, network television or teen shows, I mean, a lot of it is geriatric coffee table dog shit. So... It would be, so when you go on there and you're actually just reading these lines and doing what you're asked to do by the network, by the executives, by the director, even if you're, I don't care if you went to Juilliard or studied in, you know, you were in a, in a theater program in London's West End. It's the equivalent of going to MIT's advanced math program and then being asked to go do times tables with fourth graders. Yeah. And I will come to their defense a little bit as well. Like if you watch soap operas for example many people think oh that's the worst acting ever no what that is is a one take shot of a scene that isn't even really rehearsed and it's just shot one time without much editing at all and i got news for you like a mission impossible movie if you did one scene once without any other takes it will look just as bad as what you perceive the bad acting on soap operas to be so if anything they probably deal with the opposite, where, where actors you see on primetime television, you're like, wow, they're really good. Meanwhile, they're, they're putting in the same performance as somebody on like a daytime soap because they have a full week to shoot what they shoot in one day on a soap. And then the editing and everything, it does the exact 
opposite for somebody on that soap who got to read through something once, half of a rehearsal, and then just get it out there, scene done. Yeah, soap operas are pump and dump. It's literally trying to compare McDonald's with Wolfgang Puck's, you know, steakhouse. So what you're getting with soap operas is you're getting... It's just like a McDonald's. McDonald's has to make 10,000 McChickens every day because people just keep coming in and out. So if you expect that a McChicken or a McDouble is going to taste as good as a steak at Spago, you are sorely mistaken. So when it comes to getting those roles, like the both of us went to Los Angeles with no pre-established connection, something that I, I do not recommend doing. But, you know, if you have to, I understand we had the same sort of drive, but it really makes things a lot harder because it is a town built on relationships and when you're starting from the bottom it's a daunting task to crack through that first layer because when you get there and okay you're an actor you want to pursue acting right okay so how are you going to get your first roles there are a certain amount of jobs that you can self-submit for on websites like actors access and la casting and stuff like that but the only projects that are on there are like things that pay a hundred dollars and less student films and, and these weird independent productions where you don't know who the hell's putting them together and you just have to take a leap of faith. And even if it, it, you're auditioning against thousands of people, cause these are the open submissions. So the roles that are being made available, like the good ones are going to the agents and managers and how do you link up with them if you have no connections? Oh, yes, you guessed it. You have to pay money to go do a quote-unquote class or a workshop, a casting director workshop with the people who cast the shows who are called casting directors so you can attack it individually or you can do those same things with agents and managers. Imagine that. You have to, you have to take an acting class with agents and managers. They have nothing to do with acting. Literally nothing. Yet you go in there and take a quote-unquote class with them so that you can maybe get their attention enough to the point where they bring you in and then sign you and submit you for things? For me, and I can even vouch for this personally, where the whole process just doesn't make a ton of sense. And some of it is unnatural and it doesn't have anything to do with what you're going to be doing. And I'll give you an example. I did a showcase before the pandemic so probably you know we'll just say a couple years ago and i did one of these showcases they're not really allowed to call them that anymore because they kind of outlawed them because it kind of became known as like a pay for play yeah yeah the scam got exposed that these people were making money based on the hopes it's all built on the hopes do you understand you understand i sound like ray liotta in in goodfell you understand you understand these agents and managers who mostly have no intent on signing these people just take a quick cash grab all built on those people's hopes like these people spend a full week two weeks three weeks preparing for something that somebody's just like yeah i kind of need exactly and so you start to feel like you get ripped off a little bit when you constantly pay for these things and you're not even getting a meeting or a phone call and so i did one about two years ago and it was i think in the ballpark of 120 to 130 dollars and what you do At the very least, from ones that I've done in the past and ones I've heard about, at the very least, I wanted to be alone in a room with these various um, agents and managers just because you get a little bit of one-on-one attention. You feel like they're really watching you. You can be alone in a room and you can feel comfortable because you're just in a room with material that you've prepared and you're ready to perform for them. I get to this one thing and it is not that. It is... First, it has to be under the guise of like a, a learning experience. So there's a Q&A with an already established actor yeah. who's sitting there 
telling you their success story, like it's going to have anything to do with how you can make it when everybody's story is different. And in reality, what they should just say is, well, they're showing you the Brad Pitt story. Like I, like I had talked about where, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It worked out for Brad Pitt when he was, uh, a bartender and he was a limo driver, but none of the other ones. Exactly. They bring the one that it works for to make you think that's the norm. And what they're never going to tell you is, uh, you know, 85% of my success story is uh, right place, right time. And I'm pretty lucky because that, that doesn't sell. People don't want to hear that. Yeah. Uh, what they try to sell, like I'm, I'm tired of these people. My my mom is even one of these people because Tony Danza was boxing at a gym somewhere they think oh well tony danza was discovered boxing no he wasn't go look up the dance see you look it up then you realize oh he was pursuing it for years and he happened to see somebody that he already knew at a boxing gym and then they reconnected or or david boreanis was walking his dog and then oh yeah then they just cast him on bones that's how it works you're walking your dog someone goes i need that guy carrying my show yes millions of dollars on the line i'm gonna trust the guy walking his rottweiler no doesn't work like that no, definitely not. So, and I'm in, so I'm, I'm in my situation and not only was I not alone, but because this thing is such a, a pump and dump type thing and you know, it, it really is like a borderline scheme. No, I'll you, go. It's a, it's a, it's a straight out scheme, not even on the borderline. They easily took probably 50 to 60 of us that night, maybe 50 people. And I am not kidding when I say this, we went to the Q and A and we're in one of these black box theater type things. If you've never been, it's where they have small stage productions and then like uh, improv comedy shows and things like that, where it's like a 60, 70 seat theater. But it's still, it's, you know, it's an enclosed room. It feels like a lot of people when you're in there. And we had to sit there and watch in a group everyone else's performance. Oh, that's miserable. So it was just horrible because... Not I've prepared this material and now I have to sit there for two hours and watch everybody else's and it gets in my head and it's distracting and it's hard to focus on your own material. But then not only that, but then I had to get up and perform in front of essentially an audience of probably 75 to 80 people that I had never seen before that night. Now, I have a little bit of a, like in my youth, a stage background, so I don't have a problem speaking in front of people or doing a performance in front of people, but I wasn't prepared to do that until I showed up that night and realized the format. And now you're just in a dark theater with all these eyes on you. And I don't even, I can barely, because there really is a different dynamic when you're preparing an audition in a small room, opposed to a big room or a theater, everything from the way you project to the way you prepared, how you're going to use the spacing because it lands completely different. And there's no rehearsal when you're going to do a stage performance and you're going to perform for a hundred people you get to prepare a little bit, but I had been doing this to a lamp in my apartment for a week leading up to this. And then you're just thrust into this theater, which I wasn't even sure about after having watched 40 other people go up and perform. Yeah. Where you're doing the constant size up. and there's no personal meet and greet either. These people don't look at you. You don't say hello to them. They're in the dark in the front row. And then at the end of it, you strictly get worksheets with ratings, one through five on them, and then some feedback notes. And then if they happen to like you, I suppose they have your contact information, they reach out to you. So it seemed like a total scam. My word, that really does sound like one hell of a scam. Guess there will be no need for a scam of the week this time around. Anyway, Andy likes to keep these episodes under 45 minutes long. Stay tuned for the second half of the episode, where the guys talk about their own Me Too stories. Yes, you heard it right. See you next time and don't forget to follow Andy on all social media platforms, especially his Patreon. He's a damn good bloke.